Hey, good morning. Hey, if you're new, really glad that you're here. I'm Charlie, uh, the lead pastor here. If you're joining us online or you're here in the room, really glad all of you are here. And we are wrapping up a three-week series. We're just kind of talking about, we've been talking about money, really kind of in this context of an off-ramp, which is, you know, if have been thinking about it like this, like, if I'm here, this is the life that I want to have. There are certain things that kind of pull us off in the off-ramp, like, and uh, that just kind of... We wake up one day, a year from now, five years from now, 10 years from now, we're not where we thought we'd be. We're not who we thought we should be. And one of the biggest off-ramps from the, the life that I believe that God has for me and the life that I want, it really a lot of it has to do with our attitude around, around money. And I've mentioned this a few times, you know, that there's just this thing that I just, I'm constantly aware of. I speak a lot to groups of people who are new into ministry young college ministers, young pastors, those kinds of things. And we talk about kind of what are the off-ramps really? Like what are the things that are going to keep you, derail you from this, the life that God's called you to? And it's over and over, it's sex and money, sex and money. And, and, and I'll mention this, that, you know, when, when, you, when you see these headlines, right? When a pastor, a church, an organization makes the headlines, it's almost always bad news. And the bad news is always around, almost always around sex and money. Um, they have uh, some sex abuse, an affair of some type, embezzlement with money, like all these kinds of things. And so we're heading to the, uh, a men's retreat last weekend, and we're having lunch at the, uh, the old Kings River uh, gas station there in Marble. It's kind of a tradition for those of us who leave early. And a couple of the guys asked me, Charlie, if you were to make the headlines, what would it be? And my immediate answer was, and this actually got somebody a, a while back, was my immediate answer then was it's because I've made a second uh, Twitter account to post all my hot takes, right? And it's like, you, know, you just read something, it's like, it's just a really stupid thing somebody says, like, I got a response to that. He's like, but I, I, I mean, I, I can't make that. And he's like, I, I imagine somebody, oh, we know what I would want to say. He's like, I'll just create this fake account. That, that would be it. Like, especially like mm, Fairweather, mediocre Razorback fans, like they, they have some things I need to say to them, but not me, this fake guy, right? But I could never do that because there was a time when I was managing my personal account and like, a, um, like one for the church, and I would always forget to switch back and forth, so I will never do that. I'm not capable of that level of uh, deception. And, and since then, I've thought of a couple of more. Maybe trespassing, and you think, what on earth are you talking about? Here's the thing that I do, and I've passed it on to my kids. Like, if we're someplace cool, and, like, there's a door, and, like, I wonder where this door goes. Like, we'll, we'll just check doors. And if it opens, like, I wonder where this goes. The next thing you know, we're walking someplace. Someday I'll tell you about the time we explored kind of the depths of Cinderella's Castle at Disney World. Um, it, was, it, was a great, it was a great little moment, me and my older two daughters. Um, last time I was there, actually, I drove past a couple signs, said authorized vehicles only. I authorized myself. Like, we'll just keep going. I wonder what's over here. And I come, if I'm with somebody who's like normal, they're like, why are you checking that door? And I was like, I want to know what's in there. It's like, you're not supposed to. Anyways, anyways. Um, but really, the, the, the real answer, right? Caught on film at game. Right? I mean, it's like leaked video of pastor caught on film at Razorback game. That will, that, I mean, I don't have to fill in the blanks for you for that, right? That's what it'd be. Okay, but here's the deal. In reality, in reality, I'm not going to be undone by a headline. It's not going to be anything particularly newsworthy. It's not going to be some big thing. If I'm going to be undone, it's going to be by the day-to-day stress and anxiety of life, bit 
by bit, just overwhelmed, not staying healthy, not being connected to God, not trusting in Jesus, not being connected to his spirit and letting the ups and downs and, and, and the frustrations of life just slowly get the best of me and kind of crush me. And that's what happens the most. Most of us, if we, if we wake up 10 years from now and we're not where we hoped we would be, it's not gonna be based on one, some scandalous moment. It's gonna be just kind of a slow drift that we make. And very often the worries and the stress and the anxiety of, around money can do that to us. And we talked about this a couple weeks ago that, you know, our attitude, we, we can be greedy. We can, we can always just be craving more or we can be fearful and anxious. And really Jesus calls, most of that calls it idolatry. And it's our heart, our attitude about money that gets us. And then last week we tried to redeem all of those things. Instead of greed, we choose contentment. Instead of fear, I choose trust. Instead of idolatry, I choose a real surrender to God. Into the gospel. And today we're going to wrap it up. We're just going to be talking a little bit about attitude. We'll get a little more practical at the end, um, but not as much practical normally as we normally do because I really do. I want this to really kind of center around our attitude. And there's a parable that Jesus tells that kind of, kind of I think, gives us a really good big picture of what our attitude and heart around money is. And you think right now you're trying to guess, some of you Bible types. I know what the parable is. It's not that because this is a parable nobody talks about because it's weird and, I, and most people don't know what it talks about so we just pretend it doesn't exist because it's very strange and you'll feel it as soon as we talk about it because it's, it's, it's weird because there's, there didn't seem to be any good guys in the parable and then what Jesus says after to explain it's kind of odd but I think if we can take these pieces that at first are kind of like what is going on here? If we can put them together I think we've got a couple of really profound truths about our attitude and hearts around money. And I think a very inspiring and tangible application point that I think will really be able to help us. So it's called the parable of the shrewd manager. And it is in Luke chapter 16, starting in verse 1. <clears throat> Jesus told his disciples... There was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possession. So he called him in and asked him, What is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management because you cannot be my manager any longer. Make sure we understand what we're talking about. We've got a really rich dude and he's got a dude who's managing his money for him. And the rich dude has found out that the manager has been wasting, stealing, not taking care of his money well. And so he has called him in. I need you to come here and give an account for yourself because you can't do this job anymore. But before he's able to do that, before he goes in, the manager said to himself, verse 3, What shall I do now? My master is taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig and I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. So he called in each one of his master's debtors. He asked the first, How much do you owe my master? 900 gallons of olive oil, he replied. The manager told him, take your bill, sit down quickly and make it 450. Then he asked the second, how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. He told him, take your bill and make it 800. The master commended the dishonest manager because he acted shrewdly. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. Yeah, very straightforward, right? Oh, okay, yeah, it totally, totally makes sense. Oh, well, it doesn't make sense because here's the thing that we're used to. We're used to 
like the manager, the boss, the owner, whatever, to being God in the story. But this guy, he looks at his dishonest manager and says, that was really smart, dude. Good job, Good job by you. It's like, that doesn't, that doesn't seem right. And then what is this guy doing? What is he getting commended for? Right? Before the manager, before the owner can really fire him, he's like, oh man, what am I gonna do? Like if I lose this job, I don't want to beg, but I can't I can't really do anything. I can't I can't like work hard. I'm not very strong, so what am I gonna do? I'm gonna be out on the own. I don't know what to do. I know what to do. I'm going to make some friends for myself. And so he goes to these people who owe the big boss money. He's like, How much do you owe him? I owe him a thousand dollars. Here, let me see your bill. Let's scratch that off. We'll just write eight hundred. How much do you owe? 3000 Oh, let's scratch, scratch, scratch that off. We'll make it two. And so basically, he's reducing all of what these people owe the big guy, the, the rich guy. He's just reducing it so that when he loses his job, he's like, man, that dude, that dude took care of me. And then the owner finds out about it and says, bro, that was actually really smart. You just wasted thousands of my dollars. And like, that was, that was, that was smart. And then this is Jesus' follow-up to it. He basically says, here's the deal. Bad people are more strategic with their money than good people are. And you're like, what? What, are, what, what point is he trying to make? And if you're trying to make whatever that point is, why would you use such a, a story with nothing but villains and the, the, the boss, not a good guy, and the, and, the, and the guy we're supposed to be emulating, the shrewd manager, he's not a good guy. What, are you, what is the point that he's trying to make? I mean, he's intentionally using bad people because this is what he says. Bad people are better than good people when it comes to this amount of shrewdness, strategic thinking around money and stuff. And so we'll continue because he does explain this a little bit, a little bit. Verse 9, Luke 16. I tell you, this is Jesus talking, I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves. Jesus said that. This, this thing about it, this is what Jesus said. Like, we can put this on a quote, a little quote board. Use your money to make friends, Jesus. Okay. So that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. So essentially, he's kind of like, hey, this is what this guy did. He, was, he, he lost, he was going to lose his job. So he uses the resources as, at his disposal so that when he loses everything, there will be some people who welcome him in. You do the same thing, so, but, that, but for eternal dwellings, whatever it means. Verse 10, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? So the shrewdness of this guy is that he uses the resources that he has that really aren't his. But he has been given some some stewardship of them. He has, he, he's, managed, he's, a manage, he's managing someone else's resources and uses that time to kind of endear himself to a few people so that when all of the things that he has are gone, these people will welcome him. And what Jesus is saying here is that that is an attitude that you should have because you also are in the exact same situation as this guy. 
You have some things that don't technically belong to you. They belong to the big guy. And you're managing them for a season. And they're going to go away. And so what you should do while you have them is use them in such a way so that you will be able to have greater things later so that people will welcome you in eternity, in eternal dwellings is what he says. And so it's, a very, it's very strange. It's, it's like it's a piece of the puzzle of what, what the Bible says about money and our heart around it. That, that like we, we, have this, we have this idea of like, this is what the Bible says about money. And you kind of got this puzzle and you have a leftover piece. And like, I don't, I don't know what to do with this piece. So I'll just sit over here. Actually, if we take it, we just kind of put it in and we, try to, and, we, and, we, and we add it to what we think we already know what the Bible says about money. I think there are some really, again, some powerful things for us to take away as we're asking God to kind of reorient our hearts. And the first one is this, is that your money is not your money. I think Jesus makes this abundantly clear. I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of the setup for the whole, the whole parable in the first place, is that the person, the manager, it's not his. He has access to it. He uses it. Um, he can spend it, he can do all these things with it, but it's technically not his. He's just a manager of a greater owner who actually all of that stuff belongs to him. And that is the relationship that Jesus says that we have with God and our money. He makes it, he makes it very clear. Like, verse 12, if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? He's talking about all of this in the context of the money and the riches and the wealth that you have right now. Saying it doesn't belong to you, it belongs to God. And there and there's a I don't think it's uniquely American, but there's definitely an American trigger that can happen there of just like, no man, I, I did this. I um, I worked, I did. I was my hard work, my ingenuity, my risk taking, my my, my study, my work, my training, I did all the, and, and I worked and I did the hours and I got the money and they gave it to me and it's, my, it's mine. But basically what God is saying is like, hey, I got, this, I got this universe I created and I got this one little ball that is kind of a part of this really big thing and, and you kind of exist on this ball and I, I got all of this and you're just kind of these little people on this and I created this and you in it and every, everything here belongs to me. And so whatever peace that you tend to just happens upon you for whatever reason, I mean, you, I'm, you can manage it, but it belongs to me. And, and, and it belongs to and, and you're and you know, it's, it's important for us, it's more to understand this. And again, when we push back against that, we're like, we're like the little kid. Like it's time for bed. It's like, you can't take that into your bed. It's mine. I don't know if you've ever said this to a kid. I certainly haven't because I am of incredible spiritual uh, level, right, right? Everything in this house is mine. <laughs> it's funny. It's funny to think that someone might have ever said that to an a- angry to a three-year-old. But you know, you see, when a two-year-old starts talking about what's mine, you're like, yeah, I mean, I, get, I, mean, I gave it to you, but I, I bought it, and really you're mine, and so anything that's yours is mine because you're mine and it's just kind of this, this it's, it really is. And, 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 we, and there's a word that we use, use a lot in church, it's called stewardship. And I say, if you depend on what church you went to, I say stewardship, you think giving. But that's really not what stewardship means. Stewardship means is that I have been, giving some, been given something that belongs to someone else. 
And, and that is what is true, and it is important. I think it is of critical importance that we get this. Because what I really want from, this, from these three weeks of us being together is there's this, this kind of yuck of just kind of what people live and think about money and the anxiety and the frustration that it causes. And if we're going to get out of that and live at a different level, where I'm not going to allow all of the, the greed and the fear and the anxiety and the fighting and all the things that happen around money, the jealousy, the fear, I'm going to live above that. I think this is a critical piece that I recognize that everything that I have comes from God. And that's going to give me two things. It's going to immediately, if I, if, if I, let, if I truly choose to believe that, first thing is I'll be very thankful I'll be thankful for whatever it is I have. Instead of thinking about what, what I don't have, I should be thankful for what I do have because it was, it was a gift. It was given to me. And I need to learn to discipline myself to be like, well, if it's all given, how come I only have this and they only have that? How come, how come, how come? I... Comparison becomes a problem. But the more I think about it, this is just a good gift. I'm thankful. Thank you, God. In addition to being thankful, the immediate thing that comes to mind is now I have a responsibility. This is not mine to do with what I choose. I have a responsibility. And again, Jesus says this. If you're gonna be trusted with this, how can you expect to have more? Like, you need, you need, you need to manage this. God has given you this, and you need to be trustworthy with it because God wants to continue to bless you, but he's gonna bless you in proportion to your faithfulness to what he has currently given you. And so I have a responsibility. It's not just, hey, I've given this to you. You can do whatever you want with it. Again, it's the same with children. You give them, you give them a little bit more responsibility. And if they handle that, you give them a little bit more. Okay, I, I don't know if I can trust you with a, an electronic device. I don't know if I can trust you with something that connects to the internet. I don't know that I trust you with, with something that allows you to call other people. Like, I don't, I, don't, I don't know. I don't know if you can stay home by yourself. I don't know if you can have a friend over. I don't, I don't, I don't know but we kind of do in these little chunks. And, when, and this is what God is saying. I'm going to give you this. And based on how responsible you are, well, then I will bless you even more. Now, again, this is where most people end up saying things, not most people, there are a significant number of teachers out there will then kind of ultimately end up in what we have called over the last couple of weeks prosperity thinking, which is if I'm faithful with this amount of money, God will give me more money. But that is not what this says. In fact, what it says is, if you have been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, you can be trusted with true riches. Your money is not your money, but also this, money is actually a relatively small resource. It's not talking about if you're faithful with money, you'll get more money. It's actually saying if you'll be faithful with money, you'll get something of incredibly more value than that. Let's go back, verse 10. Whoever can be trusted with little will be trusted with much. So he's like, if, I give, if God gives you a little and you're faithful with it, you can get more. And he connects, to make, he makes it very explicit what he's talking about in verse 11. So if you've not been true... Um, trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? So we got little over here, money and stuff, and true riches, something great over here. 
And so what Jesus is saying here is that by comparison, the way that God wants to bless you, he has riches in mind for you that go well beyond what money and stuff can do. So, I mean, mean, money is little. It can give you a lot of little, I guess, but it's still just a little. It's a little thing. It's a small thing in comparison to true riches, a bigger and greater thing that he has for you. And I don't want to minimize it. I don't want to minimize it. I don't want to minimize it. So therefore, the point is money is not that big of a deal. It is a big deal. Mark has this line. I've heard him say it every time. He's the only person I've ever heard say it. I didn't think he came up with it, but it's always been Mark's line, which is, Money, uh, money's not everything, but it's dangerously close to oxygen is what he says. Like, oh, Mark, that's pretty cool. And so I was texting him this morning, like, what is that line exactly? But I didn't hear back from him. So then I Googled it. Turned out it's a Zig Ziglar quote. And it is money's not everything, but it, 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 it definitely approaches oxygen. It's really close to it. It feels essential. And it is. It is, it is how life is conducted here. So it's not that it's not important. It just pales in comparison to what God is wanting to do in your life. The real blessing that is available to you that I believe begins now and is an investment in, in an incredible future. If, if, if there's something so much greater out there, great, true riches, eternal dwellings, if I can figure out what it means to kind of be a steward, a manager for God, to be thankful, to understand my responsibility. If I can do this well, then true riches are right over there. That is what God, God is waiting to bless me with true riches that by comparison will make money seem really insignificant. Now we have to decide if we believe that. We have to decide. I mean, it's, it's, it really is. It is a faith-based, faith-based decision that all of us have to make. Am I going to choose to believe what Jesus has to say here? That my money and my stuff is not my own where I just get to decide to do whatever I want with it. And in fact, if I choose to believe that and submit to what God has for me and I choose to follow him, and I'm faithful with what he has given me, then in fact, what awaits me are riches so great that money will seem insignificant by comparison. So however it is significant you think money is, something that dwarfs it is on the other side. If we choose to believe what God has to say here. And so what do we do with that? What do we do with this information? My money's not mine. It's relatively small. Well, I mean, he's, he's very clear. Verse 9, I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends. Which I, honestly, I can't believe what it says. Like, what, what, like what, do, what do we think it should say? All right, there's some other things it should say, right? So use your money and give it to the church, right? And, you know, use your money and tithe. Use your money and... Give it to missions. We, I mean, those, kind of, those, those are the things. That, that, that's a piece that makes sense in our puzzle board. 
He's like, use it to gain friends. And so I think we need to, we need to let it, that sink in a little bit and kind of really get, like, what is he trying to say? Because the thing I want to make sure we all understand is that money has the potential, has the potential for great investment. Great investment. The return. Money, which is in and of itself valuable. But by comparison, if I invest it in the right way, it'll dwarf, it'll dwarf it. It's, it's, like, it's like money all of a sudden becomes very, very small. Eternal riches, eternal dwelling. What is he talking about here? Investing in people. I mean, that's the point that Jesus is trying to make here. People, make your money and put it into people. Because your money is going to run out. Just like this manager, he eventually wasn't the manager anymore. And you are not going to be the manager of money and stuff forever. There will come a point when you've reached the end of your life and whatever money and stuff you have is not going to be accessible to you anymore. Maybe accessible to someone else, to your kids, and taxes. Something's going to come of it. it. May get burnt away. It may just disappear. It may not have anything, but whatever. When your life comes to an end, your stewardship ends. But if you will take it between now and then and invest it into people, the image here is just like this guy's going to invite it into people's homes that he was kind to, or I don't know if kind's the right word, that he stole on their behalf for them. They're going to welcome into their homes. And your investment into people will do the same thing. You're going to be able to see what you've done and it will have made an eternal difference because the souls of people are eternal. And so when I invest in a person and help them know who God is and help people draw closer to God and I love them well, I am making a difference in something that is eternal. And God says that the blessing that comes from that pales to what, we feel, to, to what money is. And the reality of it is, even as we struggle to really believe and understand what we're talking about here, I would hope, I would hope that you would believe and understand, like, if all that happened was I could get out of this yuck and just be here, that would be worth it. But then when I see what, what difference it can make in the lives of people. That's true riches. And apparently there's gonna be something that happens in heaven that we're gonna be able to see and experience it way more clearly. What the investment we made in the people that God loves, how that is gonna pay off forever. So I can take a temporal something and get a forever blessing with it. And there's lots of ways to do that. I mean, <clears throat> lots of things we can do. Lots of ways to be this kind of strategic with your money. But I'm guessing as most of us here, like I don't even know, I don't, I don't even know, I, I, if, if you could see my checking account, I, I, don't even, I don't even know where to begin. Like I'm, I'm struggling. You don't have to turn on any, any, it doesn't matter what your favorite news site is. People are struggling. Inflation is real. And, and, and there's challenges that we're all facing. Like, I wouldn't even know where to begin to kind of turn this around. Like, I'm, I'm struggling as it is. And there's, again, we'll just kind of end here with just a couple of 
really, I think, really important pieces of advice. Because most of us, and from that first picture up here, most of us kind of live our life this way, where I take my money and the first thing I do is I pay all of my bills. And if there's anything left over, I choose what I want to do with that. Well, maybe I can save up for something that we're going to, you know, I want to buy a car. I know the, my insurance payment comes up. I got to make sure I save for that. Or maybe I'm going to take a little money and save it for the long term. So I can get a house or save it up so that I can retire. And if I got anything left, maybe I'll try to give a little bit. But really, I think about my money like this, like this is my bills. And so we go this way. And God says the exact opposite. You want to steward my money well? Then you take the first part, the first thing that you think about when you get your money is, how can I bless people? How can I give this back to God? I do that first. And then I'm wise. And I think I got to think about the things that are long-term I need to be saving for, the short-term things I need to be saving for. And then what's left over determines my standard of living. This is the wisdom cover to cover that God gives us all the time. Give first, plan for the future, live on the rest. But we tend to think, I'm going to determine my standard of living by the size of what comes in. And then hopefully I have some things left over. And when we choose to do this instead of this, it just, it causes so many problems. And then you get into a problem, I'm overwhelmed with debt. I've got all this anxiety. I've got all this fear. And then I ask God, God, where are you? And he doesn't show up. He's like, which way are you going? You're asking me to bless something that I can't bless. You got, we, you got to get reoriented. You've got to switch your direction. Because actually, this is one of the very few things in the Bible that is fairly formulaic, fairly straightforward, very straightforward if-then kinds of thing. God's blessing shows up when we manage his resources according to his values instead of according to mine. And, and the first one, I think, is the most important one. God says everything belongs to him. And he says that first 10%, he wants it back just to make sure you and I are clear. Hey, it's all mine, and I want to make sure you're clear on that, so give me the first part back. And then watch what I'll do. And I've heard this so many times. It feels cliche to me, but it might feel brand new and awesome to you. Let me tell you, God's blessing and hand on your 90% has more life and value than whatever it is you think you can do with 100. I've experienced that for all of my adult life. I know countless people who have, and I invite you into this. I've mentioned this before when we talk about money that I've kind of got, I kind of wear two hats here. I am the executive director of sorts of a nonprofit that is fundraises in order to be able to survive. And so I have a vested interest in you getting some of this. But I'm telling you, my first and primary interest with you is as your pastor. And I'm telling you, there is a life out there that many of us are missing out on because we're just going the wrong way. And there is an overwhelming amount of joy and blessing on the other end of just some more obedience. That if I will just make a personal commitment to say, I want to be a giver. And so I would encourage you with this. We got one more picture that I want to show you. Some of you aren't giving at all. Some of you kind of sit down there at the bottom. We're just not giving. We don't, we don't really give. We're just, we're, we're people, I'm just, pay, I'm paycheck to paycheck. 
I'm just, I'm just surviving. In fact, I'm not living on 100% of my income. I'm living on 102%. And I'm getting further and further behind. And so the distance between that and where it seems like God, God's ideal for you is so huge. And I don't want to overwhelm you, but I do want you to identify yourself on that ladder and try to take one step. I'm going to make a commitment today. I'm going to give. I'm going to make a commitment today. I'm just going to give. I'm going to give something just to, just, just to put some points on the board. I just, want to, I just want to do it. Take that step. Just see what God does. See if God doesn't just give you a little bit of taste. I bet he will. I'll give you a taste of what he wants to do. But if you're kind of at that level, I kind of give when I think about it. If somebody asks me, I get in, you know, I, 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 I'm sure, I, I can do it. Why don't you make a decision to become a planned giver? I'm going to give a certain amount on a regular basis. I get paid every two weeks, I'm going to give every two weeks. I get paid every month, I'm going to do it. It's going to be a committed amount. If you're kind of at that spot, what would it look like for you to get from there to 10%? And maybe some of you are already at that spot and I want to invite you to something that sounds crazy but is actually amazing, which is just keep going. Because there's another principle in scripture that is of crazy importance to me and it kind of entered into my life about 12, 13 years ago. I was reading this book and it says, it says you know, it always talks about that God blesses generous people. That real blessing comes from Generosity. And he said this, and I still, I still kind of chew on it. I'm not exactly sure how committed I am to it, but enough to where I want to tell you. If God says the first 10% belongs to him and you give that back to him, that's not generous. That's just doing what you're supposed to. Generous is on top of that. And that's when the return on investment, the blessing starts to multiply really, really fast. And if you're down there at the, one of these kind of, I may feel like overwhelming and I get it, I understand. But let's take, let's take some steps. Let's take some steps that direction. And let's just see, let's just see what God would do. Again, not just in our church, but in your lives. Because the reality of it is, there's a lot of great ways to do this. Obviously, I have a personal investment in this. I've got my, I'm not an unbiased figure, but I get invited to a lot of these great banquets, and there's lots of great things. I got to go to one um, for uh, the call for foster care. It was great. I got to go to one just this weekend on pediatric um, cancer research, and that was great. I got invited to another one that's for a youth ministry called Young Life in Springdale. wasn't able to make that one, but there's lots of different opportunities. We got all these great missionaries on the board. We got missionaries in our church. There's, there's investments in our community. There's lots of great ones where you can take what God has given you and give it and invest it into, into the lives and the very souls of people that they can find the help they need here and ultimately find life with God. I think the church is a great investment. Some of you know we're starting a capital campaign where we're kind of raising money for some different things. And some of it is for our missions budget. To me, that's like, the, that's like a double whammy investment as far as I'm concerned. Because not only is the money you're giving to missions immediately going out to help people in our community and our world, but it also solidifies the reputation that our church has of being a generous giving church. We're also raising part of our money is going to our kids. What a great investment that is. I, I want to make a difference in this world. I'm going to love kids. And part of it is also going to our worship. And um, I mentioned this last week, if you were here, that we've had some equipment go out, including our soundboard, which is kind of really important. And then people are like, how are you having church at all with you don't have a soundboard? Well, we got this little thing that's kind of acting as a substitute. And the analogy I use was it would be like you have a cookie baking business 
and your oven goes down, now you're using easy bake, right? You're still making cookies, but it ain't going well. Let me tell you something happened today that the worship team and the tech team would never want you to know. The light bulb went out on the easy bake oven this morning. Well, how is it that you're here? It's like, I imagine like with lighters underneath the dough in the easy bake oven being like, just bake, I beg you. Because they've got great hearts and they're making it work, but eventually the whole thing's gonna go down, right? And ultimately, an investment in our worship service and drawing people to God and connecting them to one another and hearing about the gospel, what an incredible investment that is. And I want us to have a mindset that says, I want my money, my stuff, I want it to make a difference. I want, I want God's blessing. What if, what if instead of anxiety, God's blessing was on our money? What if living down here in the fray, I was up here living at peace and joy and contentment and I'm seeing God do incredible things with my money and stuff that Jesus says is going to pay off forever and will, when you experience it by comparison, make money seem like it was no big deal? That is what Jesus Christ is offering each and every one of us. But it's going to require a change of heart. I've surrendered too long to fear. I've surrendered too long to greed. I've given this way too much. I've just. But instead, I'm going to trust. I'm going to be content. I'm going to invest. I'm going to be strategic in a way that God is calling me to make a a real impact with my money. And I promise you, overwhelming blessing, peace, and joy await you on the other side. Let me pray. God, I thank you. God, I thank you that you've chosen us to be stewards of your, of what belongs to you. And God, most of us, if we were being honest, despite of what we think of the comparison between us and somebody else, you've been very, very generous with us. And so God, I pray that you would build into us a heart of thankfulness, a heart of contentment. And God, I pray that we would believe We would trust that when we invest your resources into people, God, that it will pay off in a huge way. And so God, I pray that you would teach us to grow us in our giving, our stewardship, our generosity. To invest in community programs that are loving people and to missionaries that are bringing your hope into our community, state, country, and world into our church, God, that is making an impact here in our community and ultimately all over the world. God, I pray that you would give us the heart and the discipline. And as always, we are so thankful for your son, Jesus, whose sacrifice and his death and his resurrection make life with you possible. And it's in his name that we pray, amen.